as you all know, um, we are going through this series uh, on the, the Great Commission. And as I've said, you, you know, you might get tired of hearing Matthew 28, 16 through 20, but I mean, this section of the gospel gives to us so much that we need uh, as we move ahead as a congregation and we look forward to making disciples and as we uh, try to live our lives in relationship to God and to the community around us. So this is, this is instrumental to who we are. This is, this is key to not only us as Boone United Methodist Church, but as the church in general. And as I'll say in a little bit, because we haven't done a good enough job on this, that's part of the reason why some of the stuff that's going on in our world today is happening. Hear now the word of the Lord. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when we were planning this series and we got together as pastors to discuss this upcoming sermon, when we came to this line and some doubted, I mean, we, you just got to laugh, right? I mean, we, we just got tickled because here they are with this resurrected Lord on top of a mountain, and what are they doubting? I mean, come on, get, get a break, guys. I mean, these disciples, are you that dumb disciples? I mean, are you that dumb? I mean, here they are right there in front of Jesus who has been raised from the dead, and it said that some doubted. That's amazing, isn't it? But it's a reminder of the fact that doubt is a part of who we are. And it's a, it's a part of the resurrection accounts in, in some of the other Gospels. Most famously, we, we see in John's Gospel, there is who? Doubting Thomas. Remember that? And who would doubt the word of 10 of your best friends had come and had said, hey, he's arisen. We've seen him. And, and Thomas says, no, I'm not going to believe unless I put my fingers in his hands and my hand in his side. You know, there, there was doubt there. In Luke's Gospel, at the end of the day on, on Resurrection Sunday, Two disciples, Clopas and a, an unknown disciple, are walking along, going to the town of Emmaus. And there they had heard the other disciples said, we've seen an empty grave. And we've heard this, as they call it, an idle tale because, well, in that day and time it was by women, and so you don't believe sometimes what women say. But they doubted that this Jesus had been risen from the grave. So... This text that we just read to you, this word of doubt, gives to us this wonderful thing that each and every one of us are both mixtures of faith and doubt, are we not? And as I was preparing for this message, I, I posted on Facebook a question that said this. It said, when in your life have you had doubts about God or, or maybe doubts about yourself. And to be perfectly transparent for those that are too young for Facebook, I didn't think TikTok was an appropriate place to post something like this. But for some of you that might not have seen that, uh, to be perfectly transparent, I said 
on there that I've had doubts about God's kindness and goodness and care for us after the tragedy that uh, we endured four years ago this past Friday. So I've had my share of doubts and my share of issues. And I bet many of you all have as well. And so I'm going to read to you some of the responses that I got. Some were on my page and some were sent to me by instant messenger. But some of you all might be able to relate to some of these things. One person said, I've doubted for 65 years and lived in chaos. Then one morning Christ woke me up and I've been free ever since. But can you imagine having doubts for 65 years? Doubting. And we celebrate that maybe they're free from that doubt. But that's a long time to live in uncertainty. Another wrote, tragedy is a loud voice that can sometimes drown out God's whisper. Making peace with what God allows or does not allow is one of life's greatest challenges. I argued with God for five years concerning the healing of my brother-in-law, who was a quadriplegic. Then I was for five years... After five years, I was able to accept the grace that didn't change everything, but did change me. My brother-in-law died in 2004. And then he goes on to say, God is good. But his goodness sometimes can only be seen from eternity. Another wrote, and this is something that was reflected in so many other people's responses, seeing so much hate, violence, and hurt in the last few years has made me doubt. I too often Ask, where are you, God? How can you let your children suffer? And here on this anniversary of 9-11, many people questioned and asked, where are you, God, when such tragedies happen like that? This one was sent to me privately by someone whose child is battling a grave disease, uh, going through terrible treatments, that the treatments themselves may take the child's life. And if the child survives, that still may not make it. Is all this, the boy's sickness, the lack of response to the many prayers, her own frustration, the work of the God I love, how can it be? How can all the brokenness in this world, my own family, be the work of a God whose son healed with the spit and mud and mere touch of his hand? Why does it seem that the Bible is full of bursting with stories of God's greatness and Jesus' healing, and yet I beg him daily to save my child and to, and to please not tear my family apart, all the while wondering if I'm even being heard? How to teach my daughter to trust God when she has all these same questions? And y'all, mere trite answers and glib responses and religious platitudes cannot answer or heal such deep questioning or deep hurt. Here's one from a person who is in ministry at a large church down south. Not around here, down, someone I know personally, but it's down south, so it's not someone that y'all would know. But here's what she said. She'd been in ministry in this church for over 10, dec- uh, for 10 years, over a decade. The people I was serving were some of the most hateful and judgmental people in the church, She's not serving in a prison. She's at the church. As we hit the pandemic, I couldn't believe some of the things that came out of their mouths with such conviction, sounding so very much unlike Jesus. Organized religion has completely turned me off and has made me question who God is. I'm not alone 
in the category of having served in ministry and now find myself in a category of spiritual but not religious. And she left the ministry. Did you hear that, church? She experienced the hatred and judgment within the walls of the church. And that is going on so much in our society, fueled by the political discourse that's going on in our country. And there are many who are questioning, many who are leaving ministry and leaving the church behind because of that. And it's a failure of discipleship. And that's why this is so important that we teach about being disciples and we live out this pathway that we're trying to get established here in this congregation so that people, when they see us, don't see anger or bitterness or allegiance to one political system or another. They see Jesus. So that's why all of this is so important. Can you relate to any of those things I just read? I mean, I got a bunch of them and I wouldn't have time to read them all. Because there's so many people that are doubting and questioning and are broken and are hurting and are wondering why. And so, as we look at these 12 followers of Jesus or these 11 followers of Jesus that climbed to the mountain and they worshiped and then they doubted, it should give us some hope in the midst of all that, right? So what can we learn from these people who were at the feet of the resurrected Christ and they still doubted. What, what, what can we learn? And, and we got to ask, why did they doubt? What were they doubting? And scholars are all over the map on this, so let me just share a few things with you. First of all, they may have been doubting the fact that can Jesus really forgive us? I mean, here they come before to the feet of the one that just a few days ahead of time, as soon as Jesus got into trouble, what did they do? Boom, they got out of town, right? They left. In Jesus' greatest time of need, they fled from him. And Peter denied him. I don't even know the guy. And they had to be wondering about, well, does he really forgive us for this betrayal, this denial, this fleeing from him when he needed us the most? And, and yet, and one of our number, Judas, well, he went and hung himself. And maybe they felt like doing that as well. They felt like maybe, maybe they didn't belong there at the feet of Jesus because they had blown it so much. And one of the responses I got on, on, on Facebook was this person that said, I wonder why God allows us to do the things that we do. She was talking about people that were in, in her her realm of influence, that were getting divorced after being married for so many years. But she was also talking about people who were seeing their children go in wayward ways and they're praying to God, God, help them to change, help them to stop, help, help them, Lord, make them so that they won't do that anymore. It might be some of the prayers of, of you out here. And we wonder why in the world God would allow us to do such things. But God in his love gave us free will. But God in his love gave us Jesus to help us experience forgiveness no matter what we have done. I've had many a person come to me and said, you don't know all the things I've done. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know the things I've thought. You don't know how I've blown it so many times. And God knows what you've been through and what you've done. 
And the disciples were there maybe thinking the same thing. Yeah, Jesus has invited us to the mountain, but we have failed him so much. I used to love to read Louis Gazzard. Any of y'all remember Louis? Look at all those hands up there. Yeah, showing your age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love Louis Gazzard. I have several books on, on, on my shelf. And he calls me to laugh almost every morning when I read those editorials that appeared throughout newspapers in, in the South. And I just love what he would have to say so many times. But Dr. Thomas Long, who was the person that followed my um, preaching professor Fred Craddock at Candler, tells a story about Louis Gazzard's life and that Louis Gazzard, even though he made us all laugh, was broken on the inside. He had a father who left him at an early age. His father was a, an alcoholic and, and got into all sorts of trouble. And, and Gazzard, over his lifetime, said, Daddy, why, why do you... Why, why can't you quit drinking? Daddy, why don't you stay in the same place with us? Daddy, you know, what, what happened? And Gazzardo says, I asked him hundreds of times, hundreds of times what happened. And he one time answered, his dad did, said this, it's been something, I did something terrible. And that's all he got from his dad. And Gazzard writes, he said, you know, I, I don't know what he did. I don't know what secret that he was holding even unto his grave. I don't know if he had been a murderer. I don't know if he was a child molester. I don't know uh, what terrible thing that he thinks he had done, but I would love him and I loved him anyway, and I would continue to love him. And Thomas Long goes on to share, said that's the incredible legacy of a son loving his father. And in some ways that is the poignancy of the gospel, is that God loves us, even with our secret sins, like he still loved Judas. For Judas repented, you see, but he could not believe that he could be forgiven. So he took his life in desperation and despair. God knows it all and still loves and so if you are in this room or if you're watching online and you're wondering and doubting that, you know, uh, preacher, you don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been carrying. You don't know this habit I've been, I've been dealing with for so long. Well, hear the good news from 1 John. If you confess your sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Did you hear the word all? He's willing and able to forgive, even when we doubt our own self, even if we doubt our own worthiness, even if we doubt our own, own lives, our own goodness. His love is greater. Maybe that, that's what the disciples were doubting. Doubting that, that you know, they're worthy of, of Jesus' forgiveness, worthy of his acceptance, could be. It could be that they were doubting their own eyes. They were saying to themselves, can this really be true? Can, can, can this good news that, that Jesus is back here with us? I mean, we saw him hanging on a cross and some have seen him buried. I mean, can this Jesus really be here with us? This news is just too good for us to, to comprehend. 
Death has been conquered by life. When I, when I think about that, I think about some other examples in Scripture where, where people were just overwhelmed by the good news that they couldn't believe it. You might remember from the book of Genesis that, you know, Abraham and Sarah had been waiting for so long to have a baby. They'd been promised that, that they were going to have a child. And here was uh, Sarah well up in her years, into her 70s. And Abraham was well into his years, into his 90s. And, and uh, they had been waiting for so long to have this baby. And finally, three guests come to visit Abraham at the Oaks of Mamre. And there uh, they say to Abraham, after he feeds them dinner, he says, now, Sarah, your wife, is going to have a baby. She's in her 70s. You don't get the humor in that. Any of you, any of you 70 in here, that, imagine being pregnant. Now you get the humor. And she laughs. Why she laugh? In disbelief. <laughs> yeah, <you> right. <laughs> you know how old I am. I'm 70. I ain't have no baby. Yeah. The news was too good to comprehend and believe, even though these three angels, or some in our Eastern Orthodox tradition, believe it's God Himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit coming to Abraham. Who knows? But she laughs in disbelief. At the beginning of Luke's gospel, we get introduced to this wonderful fellow named Zechariah. I just love him. And there, he and his wife had been praying for a long time. He and Elizabeth, let us have a baby, let us have a baby, let us have a baby. They're very faithful, upright. And Zechariah is in the temple. And he's approached by, by no other person than the archangel Gabriel. Glory to the Lord there. And he said, rejoice, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a baby. And what, he go, what goes through his mind and what he says is, you mean my postmenopausal wife is going to have a baby? How can this be? Because you see, the news is too good to believe. And there might be someone watching online or uh, someone here in this audience that is saying, can any good thing now happen to me? In my grief and in my, my crying, my darkness, can the light shine? Can something good happen? Can I know joy again? Some may be saying, you know, in the brokenness of my life, in my loneliness, can I know companionship again? Some are saying as they are approaching near the end of life, I mean, is, is all the goodness of life now behind me? Is there anything that good, good can happen to me? Is there something beyond this life? Some are questioning and wondering because such news may be too good to believe that in the midst of all that we're dealing with and all that we're going through, that there is something like life conquering death, love overcoming the grave. Can it be? You know, it's interesting when we see this, isn't there? That in this text, we 
see these disciples being so hesitant to comprehend the good news that's there before them. And the, the word there uh, for doubt means hesitant. I mean, it, it, could, it could be translated either one, either way, because it, it is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's tied to a scene very similar to this one. And, and earlier in Matthew's gospel, in, in the 14th chapter, you might remember the story. The disciples go out on the Sea of Galilee, and it's at night, and they leave Jesus behind. And a storm comes up, and they're there struggling against the wind and the waves, and all of a sudden, they see this fellow just walking on the water, coming toward them. And I don't know about you, but if I saw a fellow walking on the water during the, in the night and it's stormy, I'd be kind of scared. And he's saying, don't be afraid, it is I. And what does Peter do? It's naturally Peter. He said, Peter, if it's you, I mean, Jesus, if it's you, let me step out of this boat and walk on this water. And Jesus said, hop on in, Peter, the water's fine. And so he leaves the boat. And he, as he keeps his eyes on Jesus, he's walking on the water. But, and when he sees the wind and the waves, he begins to sink. And he said, Lord, save me. And Jesus grabs him by the hand, and they get back into the boat. And Jesus said this word, why were you hesitant or why did you doubt? Same word as we just read in, in, in Matthew 28. And as soon as they got in the boat, the winds and the waves stopped, and they worshipped. They worshipped. Doubting and worship. Worship and being hesitant. Belief and doubt all there together. Maybe that's the point of this part of the story that there is a devoted worshiper and a questioning doubter within each and every one of us. Jesus gives us pictures of this mixed bag of who we are as individuals in parables early on in the gospel where he talks about there's a man who went out to sow and he threw his seed into all sorts of different soil. And that could be the soil of our, our lives. Some of it's productive, some of it's not. He talks about wheat and weeds growing there together, just like in our lives. There are some things that are beautiful and some things that are not so beautiful. And then he talks about casting a net out into the sea and bringing in good fish and trash fish. In our lives, there's both good and bad. There's both faith, faith and doubt, worshiping and questioning, mixed there together. Worshiping and questioning mixed there together. And if we're honest with ourselves, that's us. That's us. You know, when we think about some of the most, the most godly person, the most compassionate person that has lived during my lifetime anyway, you think of who? Mother Teresa, right? I mean, she's, she's so godly that we have all, joke, so, all sorts of stories and jokes about her being in heaven. Like, you know, Teresa finally does get to heaven. And there she and the Lord are, and, and uh, they have dinner together. It's a few crackers and some cheese. And the, the next day it is, uh, you know, some Vienna sausages and some Ritz crackers. And then one day it's just a peanut butter sandwich. And, and finally, you know, Teresa asked the Lord, so Lord, I just love being here in heaven with you. It's so great. But, 
you know, I, I thought the food would be a little bit better, and to which the Lord replies, well, Teresa, when there's only two of us, why bother cooking? So, you know, we, 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 there, there's so many stories about her, right? You know, there's so many things that are like that because Teresa was the most godly and devoted woman that we have ever heard of. I mean, she left Albania. She founded uh, this order of missionaries for charity, which has throughout this earth a, 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 hospice or feeding center or a, a place where the poorest of the poor in this world can come to be ministered to. She gave of her life to not just proclaim the gospel, but live it out. And yet, after she died, her journal and letters were published. And in that, we read things like this. When I ask about faith, all I experience is darkness and despair. And if there is a God, I ask, please forgive me. When I turn my thoughts heavenward, when I turn my thoughts heavenward, all I receive is despair that wounds my soul as if a knife had been plunged into my heart. Wow. That's Mother Teresa saying those things. And for us questioners and us doubters, it's good to know that Mother Teresa, someone like Mother Teresa is in our corner, who, because of her doubts and through her uncertainty, continued on into this ministry to reach the most broken, the most poor in the world. She later said this. She said, I don't pray for clarity. I pray for trust so that I can walk into my uncertainty. Wow. The great author Anne Lamont said this, the opposite of faith is not doubt. It's certainty. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because if we're so certain about things, we have no need for God, right? If we're so certain about things, why even trust? Because, well, we think we know. On the screen here is a quote that appears on our daughter's door. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, we are closer to God when we are asking questions than we, when we think we have the answers. For you see, it's in our questioning, it's in our uncertainty that we can make room for this great mystery to come and occupy our questions and our doubts with himself. No one likes to read, well I shouldn't say no one, but the book of Job is a hard book to read, right? It's, it's a hard book. But at the end of the book, in, despite all, in, in Job's pain, despite all that he's been through, and in the midst of his questions, he does not get one answer. None. All he gets is God. And that's enough. And so these first disciples, who go to this mountain and they worship and then they question, and they doubt, 
and are hesitant. At the end of this, what do we hear Jesus say? I am with you always. So faith and doubt, questioning and uncertainty, and faith all join together. And all of us, when we're honest, may God give you the grace to live in that paradox. And if you do so, God goes with you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we come before you hesitant, questioning, uncertain. So help us in the midst of those things, not to seek answers, but seek you, knowing that all of our lives we will have questions about things. And sometimes, Lord, those questions might overwhelm us. But in those times, most especially, Lord, fill us with you so that we can live in the questioning, live even in our doubts, somehow, as Teresa has told us to do, to learn to trust, and in that trust, find rest for our doubting souls. We ask this in the name of the one who has said he will be with us always, Jesus. 